Well, hello there. Welcome to the Speak Up Podcast with Laura Camacho. This is episode 159. I'm excited. We have a guest from Oregon or based in Oregon. His name is Dr. Greg Giuliano. He's an executive C-suite coach. He's going to give us some insight into talking to and getting into that C-suite. He's written a book about uh, the next normal, so we're going to find out what that's about. But first, let me remind you that this episode is brought to you by the book, The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, available on Amazon. It's about you getting recognized for the value that you already contribute. It's chapter by chapter. Each one deals with one aspect of communication, whether it's giving a presentation or having a better meeting or a better virtual meeting or a difficult conversation or emotional intelligence. It's got a communication style assessment in it. It's got so much. You just need to read one chapter at a time and you will totally have the skill set that you need to be uber duper successful at work, nail that next promotion and deal with those crazies that work with you because they're everywhere, the difficult people. So yes, the practical guide to effective communication. And now I'm going to introduce our guest, Greg. So Greg, welcome to the Speak Up podcast. We're super happy to have you here visiting from Oregon. So tell us, why are you living in Oregon? And how did you become an executive coach and somebody who's really kind of obsessed with next normal, next, the next thing in leadership, transformational leadership? Okay. Well, the, the, the quick answer to why we, so we'll start, hello. And <laughs> the quick answer to why we, and how we're in Oregon is uh, one of our, our two kids uh, came here for school and stayed. And my wife decided we would move our empty nest to Oregon. Fair enough. Uh, so, so, so now we're all here in Oregon for six years now, and we love it. it well, it sounds beautiful. For those listening in, I made Greg, he, he's got this beautiful view of a forest or something up in his office. But the the nature sounds were distracting me, so I made him shut the window. We closed the window. We have, so that's that's okay. So, and how did I get into coaching? Well, so I'm one of the lucky people in the world, Laura, that I get to do what I love, and my mission is to help leaders and teams become better leaders and teams, and I get to do that every day uh, as a as an ex, as an executive coach in an organizational development consultant. And I got into this because I began my career in education and then um, went back to school and got a doctorate in psychology and was in private practice for a while. And then way, way long time ago, uh, found out about this brand new field called coaching and executive coaching. And uh, so I went and explored that and I thought, that sounds like a really cool thing. And what I liked about coaching versus uh, doing therapy on a regular basis, which I enjoyed, um, was that the starting point was different. The starting point for therapy is something is broken and can you fix it for me? And the starting point with coaching, at least for me, is that I'm doing pretty good and I could do better if I had some coaching. I could accelerate my path to my success. So the starting point was just more positive um, and, and we could get more, more work done um, 
because I, I, at least my work as a coach, uh, I don't see coaching as remedial. I see oh, coaching, no. right? Yes. It's coaching is I want to, I'm doing pretty good. I want to do better. And, uh, and so I, that's my work. I work with leaders and teams to help them get better. And what's cool about coaching too, is that they define what better is. I don't tell them what better is, uh, um, that they tell me. And so the, the through line in my work as a coach uh, that connects my work as a coach and my writing is intentionality. How can I help this person by asking the right questions and, and offering some feedback and some guidance, help them be more intentional about how they're showing up, um, about how they are engaging other people, how they're taking care of their teams, uh, so that the, so that they can be better according to their own definition of what better looks like. Awesome, awesome. Well, we have similar backgrounds in that. I also was in the education. I was an academic, but in the com communication side, not on psychology. But definitely, psychology is helpful. In the Absolutely. Workplace. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about helping people work and play well with others, right? That same right. citizenship grade we got when we were kids in school. You know, do you work and play well with others? Exactly. So, so I'm going to ask you a question about just, you know, very direct. So why, yeah. why do we need to transform our leadership? Why would, what's the answer to that question? Well, I mean, why do we need to transform it is that the, the world is always changing, people are always changing, and and so we need to be engaged. I, I think that life is a process of transformation, that we're always changing, um, that things change all the time, they happen around us. And so the, we can either be agents, um, right, and, 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 and actively work to shape the future, um, but we can only do that by being in the here and, and now. And so if transformation is going to occur, the question then becomes, are we going to shape it? Are we going to create it? Or are we just going to land in it? And, and if, we're, if we're in a role of leadership, then that's our job as leaders is to en enable positive transformation. Our job is to take an organization from where it is today to where the 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 leadership and the and the CEO and the board, if you have a publicly traded company, you have a board. Where do we want it to go? So that's about transformation, moving the company from here to there. If we're a leader of people, then my job is to help a group of people transform into being a high-performing team. If I'm a people manager, my job is to help each person on the team continually transform themselves and and grow their capacity to engage and contribute and develop themselves so it's all about transformation you know, at an organizational level at a team level and an individual level and if i'm not on that journey of transformation myself I can't do that work to take that individual, that team, or that organization on that journey of transformation. So it's leading by example. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if change is required, then the leader has to show show how it's done by leading. Absolutely. Right. At, at macro level change, change at an organizational mm -hmm. level requires micro level change. Oh, that's awesome. So so I have a question for you because I 
I work with a lot of people who were concerned about communicating effectively to that top, top level of the organization. Yeah. Maybe they have to present to the board or present to the C-suite and they get so nervous about that. Mm. So I want you, since you work with people there, tell us like what, if I'm a director, senior director or vice president, and I'm making a presentation, a proposal how do I, what are some tips for being effective in that, in what I perceive to be an intimidating audience? It's, it's a very intimidating audience and, and partly because we ascribe so much power to them because of the titles that they have. Ooh, they're very important yes. people. They're in this room with big chairs and, you know, big table. And, and so one thing we can do be ahead of time is remind ourselves is that they are just people. Mm -hmm. And they have a different role in the organization than I do. And I'm here to share my perspective on things. Um, so if we can remind ourselves that, yeah, they, he, I mean, I was, in fact, I was just having this conversation with uh, a, a leader that I coach today and, and, um, and she has somebody on her team that she's coaching them to in this of remember that the CEO is just a person, it's just a guy. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. he goes home at night and he might be the CEO at, at work, but at home he probably has to take the trash out or he has to pick up after the dog and he's got the same stuff going on that we do, right? So they're just people. But if you're in that room and you've got to go in and present, really it boils down to when the folks at that level in the organization, there's two questions that they're always trying to figure out. How are we creating value as an organization? So value for our customers. Mm -hmm. And how are we running the business? Mm -hmm. And so if, and they want less information. So when you're probably, you know, presenting down to an audience, they need more information. But when you're presenting up to a board or to a senior management group, what's the outcome? If you can demonstrate that you are aligned with the highest intent that the organization has. So you, you have a, you have an awareness of the vision you have an awareness of the strategy and here's what my team or my part of the organization is doing in order to participate and contribute towards that vision and that strategy. Um, so here's what we're trying to do. Here's the outcome we're trying to achieve. Here's the work. Um, and, and here's what it, we think you want to know. And, and we're curious what questions that you have. So, don't over-prepare to the point that it's too much information. Mm -hmm. Demonstrate that you are connecting dots um, and ask a couple of questions and get them talking. I totally, I totally agree. I, I, you know, I totally agree with what you've said. I would, I just would add that the verbiage of, or the title of thinking of yourself as the trusted advisor, because you know things that they don't know, and they right. don't know that they don't know it. Right. And uh, really going to, and really leaning into your purpose and connecting the purpose of your proposal or whatever your information is about to you know the strategic objectives of the company. And and even though they are people, I mean they're human beings. I think they're also like more tired. Because they have so much weight, you know, they're carrying around so much responsibility. I would think because a lot of times people complain that they're not very engaging or friendly in these situations. And I just say, well, they must be very tired or they feel stressed. 
Well, here's the, yeah, that's that's one possibility. The other possibility that I see with in rooms like that is that they got to be if it's a traditional, very hierarchical mm -hmm. or organization that to get into that room, they had to demonstrate that they know a lot or know it all, you know, th you know, uh, three words that that a lot of senior leaders are dread to use our I don't know. Okay. And so there, so you're in a room where everybody, it, 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 and this is, this is why, you know, this is great job security for me because these, <laughs> these kinds of rooms need the most help because folks in that room are showing up so, you know, so guarded as, mm -hmm. as Brene Brown would say, so armored up. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that that to say, you know, to to the, so they got there because they know all kinds of stuff. And so they have they feel like they have to keep demonstrating that they know everything. And so as you're talking, you're in there presenting to people who think that they know everything. Right. Exactly. Which is not exactly encouraging for no. you. And so there. So so it, and they don't know everything, but you don't want to be the one to tell them that that, you know, you let a coach like me or you tell them that, they, hey, right. you know, by the way, you don't know everything. Right. And you're depending upon. So how are they, how are you encouraging the people who are coming to present to you to you know speak their truth and tell you what you need to know you know so that you can make the, the your decisions mm -hmm. with the best information possible and what do they need to know the folks who are presenting what do you need to know from that that board or that that management group so that you can turn around and go and take care of your people and know that you have alignment from that level right. Uh, yeah, okay. I, we, we shared this with the board or we shared this with the management group and um, we got a thumbs up. And so now we can, now we can go and execute. Right. And, and remember audience, I'm talking to you, not to Greg, that what he said about asking questions is so important because you want, you really want to break through the armor and you want to have a conversation if it's possible. And and asking questions that engage the audience about your report, let's call it. And one one that I one kind of go-to question that I have recommended is that you ask, does this surprise you? Or is this what you were expecting? Or is this, have you seen this, you know, in other markets, if it's about a certain market? I, I think it's and it allows them to since they're supposed to know everything, it allows your audience to share something that they do know. Yeah. So, you know, questions are good. So are you seeing any changes, though, like that you could point out to about the ambiance, uh, concerns about, you know, business post-COVID, you know, the more distributed workforce, uh, the, the weaknesses in the global economy that we saw because of COVID, economic concerns, like, do you see any change, any, you know, change in thinking or perceptions that that absolutely absolutely right. I, mean, I think that that more and more we're seeing uh, you know i'm seeing with the leaders that i work with in, in the organizations where i where i'm at is that the disruption of the past couple of years is, is has led uh, more uh leaders in organizations to stop and ask why about things so why are we why are we doing it this way um and so a lot of changes in organizations in terms of how we structure organizations or how how we 
how we use process to help workflow across the organization. It just caused, it, it, be, it became a moment for, so well, maybe we can accelerate in this area. So how, you know, to cre create a, a different experience, not just for our customers, but for our employees and for, for our teams and our people. And so a lot of stuff that has been, you know, maybe been, we've been slow walking in terms of um, how we shape the employee experience, um, that, that those things have got become more important and they've become, and we've accelerated our efforts to, to reorganize in order to empower people more, um, to, to break down silos more quickly and more effectively, um, to have workflow across the organization more efficiently. Um, so yeah, I see though, I see that more and more organizations are, are realizing that there's a, a, a integral connection between customer experience and employee experience. And so they're making changes in terms of how work flows um, and how they how they do what they do uh, to reflect those, that connection. Yeah, it's a great example of that employee experience. Uh, one company that I spoke to, they um, they were trying to make they had the goal of making the employees first day of work fantastic and then you think of normally your first day of work is so painful and then you think well was you would normally think well let's make it less painful by you know doing x y and z but their goal was to make that first day of work just a fantastic day i think that's a great example of yeah. that uh em employee experience and a lot of people are concerned about that and do you think distributed work, I know it's here to stay, but I still hear that some senior leaders and some companies still want to bring people back to the office. So is it hybrid? What are you, what's your, what are you seeing? Yeah. So I, I think that it's a, they're, um, if they have a, a tendency to want to bring folks back that every time they get ready to pull the trigger on it, that there's another reason why they shouldn't. Right. So, um, so I think that as much as, as you know, someone might be used to it, and this is an example of, and I mentioned this in the book. So there's, there's a, there's some leaders who they just want things to go back to their definition yes. of normal. Yes. I want it to go back to the way it was. And the majority of the workforce is saying no it's we it's you know, it's never going back to the way that it was um so what do we want what's next to look like and so the you know smart leaders are being very intentional about oh yeah it's never going back to the way it was so what do we want it to look like now um and most employees for who are are becoming better at vocalizing um, what they want their experience to be are saying that we want choice, we want flexibility, um, um, that that we you know we want to be able to to say uh, you know I'll be I, if I'm being let me put it this way. Um, a lot of the companies that I'm working with have landed on if if my people are productive and my people are available when the a, another team or some person in the organization needs them to be or whether when a customer needs them to be available if they're productive and available i don't care where they work mm -hmm. correct I, and I, you know and i don't care if it takes you two hours 
or two months to get there. So, so how much time it takes you, if you know, if you're if you're being productive and being accountable to our agreed timelines, I really don't care if you're doing it from your couch with you know in your shorts, or you're sitting in a cubicle you know down the hall from me. Um, more and more folks are realizing that I, I my, in my experience that that the workforce are is is asking um, and demanding in some cases that they get that kind of flexibility and choice when it comes to where and how they work. Yes, I definitely I agree. I, I haven't I haven't met anybody that wants to go back to full time. I a lot of people want to work say two days at the office. And the and the rest at home, but nobody wants to go back to the full commute. And no, yeah, I, I have heard some senior leaders express the fear that they're losing on that collaboration, on that, you know, that spending time together in the same room. Right, but that's where they have that. But they can design, they can build that into the design, right? That when they mm -hmm. shape the next normal, that they are, you know, are you know, they create an experience where. Why do you want people to come into the office? Well, we want them to collaborate. Okay, well then, are you designing the space to encourage and incentivize collaboration? Do they come to the work and it's still just row after row of cubes? Or are there collaboration spaces? And are there events that encourage people to come together? So it's up for a leader of a team to shape the environment for the team, to create the conditions that encourage people to willingly and enthusiastically and repeatedly engage and contribute. So it's up to the leader, the senior leader of an organization or in the leader of every team to create those conditions for people. So if you, if that's what you want, design that, right? Because everything produces exactly what it's designed to produce. So you cannot you know, build a washing machine and then complain that it doesn't microwave your coffee. You didn't design it to microwave. You designed it to wash clothes. So if you want people to collaborate, design the interaction of the team, mm -hmm. structure, process, that encourages uh, the, and produces that outcome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and there's so many, I think if you, and at, again, we go to asking questions. What are you trying to accomplish? I just right. think asking right. questions is the, the path to everything. If you just ask the right question, find the right question, and if you don't know what it is, keep asking until right. you find well, it. The, that's funny you say that. The, co the, the leaders that I coach, one of they know that one of my mantras is inquiry before advocacy. Ooh. Okay. Right. You all okay. ask questions first. You you already know what you think. Ask mm -hmm. questions because every time I and if I advocate first. As soon as I advocate my position, what's going on in your head? You're voting whether you agree or you disagree. But if I'm asking you a question, you're not voting. You're trying right. to figure out how you're going to answer the question. Exactly. Right? So I, my, I want to keep the conversation going. I want it to get deeper. I want it to get broader. So I encourage leaders um, to inquire before they advocate. Yeah, that's a great uh, way of putting it. Inquire before you advocate. And, and you're and actually, that's going to make you more persuasive because it's disarming 
somebody's natural defenses. Yes. If you're get if you're asking them their opinion or what they think. Yeah. And yeah. Well, first. yeah. It's being curious, right? You know, what's you know, what's what's your experience? What are you trying to achieve? Well, what have what have you tried? What are your what do you think you might do? Okay. Well, what's what's your plan, right? The basic coaching questions. Right, right. But from a persuasion point of view, when you get the other person's input, they're just already more likely yeah. to have buy-in. Right, right. So, well, I appreciate we I all every episode I would like to give the audience practical tools. So that's one for you. Think every those of you who are listening, inquire before you advocate. I, I really like that. And I, you have a tool I saw called TAP that's really aimed at helping people be more productive in the day-to-day. -day. Is that something yeah. that you uh, uh, yeah. would like mind sharing with the audience? Sure. And, yeah. And, and if anybody wants a, it's, it's called a TAP, a tactical action plan. And if anybody wants one, they can they can email you and I'll send you a copy of it or they oh, can okay. email me at greg at greggiuliano.com and I'll send them a copy, a PDF of the tactical action plan about how to use it. But it's basically a, an individual empowerment and focusing tool. So and we're used to working in core in 90 day cycles. So I ask I ask folks that I coach in the next 90 days of all of the stuff that you, you could do this quarter and there's all oh, i got to do this i got to get that done i got to get that done in this quarter mm -hmm. what are the four things that you absolutely have to get done that if you don't do it no one else in the company is going to do it it's not going to happen it's not something that you can can not do and it's not something that you can delegate that this is yours and yours alone and and they put those and those four things go on their on their tap their tactical action plan and then i say okay so what are the things that you have to now now what's what has to happen in order to achieve those are your outcomes for the quarter those are the four things it's only 90 days so four things right. is a lot right in right. 90 days right what are the, so and then they figure out what are the action steps well i need to meet with this person i need to you know conduct these series of meetings they figure out the work to achieve each of those four things and they put those into their personal tactical action plan um and and then they use that as a filter for how they're spending their time so every you know when i meet with them we look at their calendar and we compare it to their their tap and i say so it, you've got a whole bunch of meetings this week which of those meetings have you know is a correct an actual line to what's on your tactical action plan and which are the things that have crept into your calendar that uh, why are you even at that meeting what it has <laughs> nothing it has nothing to do with what you have said this is what i'm accountable for this quarter this is what i've got to deliver this quarter and so it helps them clean out their calendar on a regular basis either delegate those meetings or delete those meetings that they're not they're not what you they're not aligned with what you said is most important i love yeah. it just yeah. because you're invited to a meeting doesn't mean you yeah. have it's like why are you going to that you know is it in a really important stakeholder is it something that is most important for you this 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 uh this quarter if not don't go don't go exactly don't go. all right so i want to pivot to talk about one of my favorite topics which is culture so in the next normal yeah 
what is happening with culture? Well, I think people are being more intentional about culture as we come to re, you know, realize that our, our organizations aren't machines, that they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, you organic know, living, they're organic living things filled with people yeah. and humans. Um, we need to be, they're being more intentional about what is the culture that we want to create. And culture is really just, here's how we behave. Here's how mm -hmm. we treat one another. Here's how we communicate with one another. Um, here's what our stakeholders and our customers can expect from us all the time. Um, and so they're being more intentional about what are those behaviors that we want to replicate and scale that everybody shows up this way. We want a culture of empowerment. We want a culture of collaboration. We went, okay, well, let's design that, right? And, and so I think organizations are getting much more intentional about the culture. That the culture is important. People leave because the cult, they're not a fit with the culture. Maybe the culture is the way that the manager is behaving. Um, and maybe the culture is the way a whole bunch of managers are behaving, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of people are behaving. Um, and, and, and so people decide, okay, I don't wanna work here anymore. It's because, you know, right. a lot of the times it's because of the culture. The culture isn't, you know, empowering, it isn't positive. And they say, you know what, it might be good money, but I don't want, I don't, I don't want this experience anymore. Exactly. And I, I've not, I've had the situation where I knew the person was in, I had in a company with a good culture because even does it, a good culture doesn't mean there's no bad apples or no toxic people in leadership. If the company has a certain scale, a certain size, there's going to be difficult, not very friendly or use or helpful leaders. And this, this woman, she wanted to find another place in the organization, but she did not want to leave. So even though she thought her boss was toxic, she wanted to stay in the organization. Another um, example, I have a, a client who wanted his daughter to work at the same company. She was graduated, graduating from college and she was, he helped her and she did. She landed a job in the same company. So the culture is important. Uh, it's uh, something that you need to take care of. So when, when companies are transforming or, or reorganizing to fit new markets, new challenges, how does the culture aspect fit into that? Well, it's really it's really important because as they decide that we want to create value in a different way, then the the, the next question is, well, how are we running our business? So, you know, if we the way is the way that we're running our business going to produce that outcome in terms of whether it's going to create value in that way. And so the easiest thing to change is the reorganization. I can reorganize the whole company Shuffle, tomorrow, right, right? I right. can, you know, create a new org chart, send an email. And so that's really easy. That's the, e the e an easy organizational change. Um, culture change is what creates real sustained competitive advantage that does our, will our culture allow us to be successful in what we say we want to do now? And so smart organizations are looking at their culture and say, you know, you know, we have a, if we have a very traditional culture of, you know, that people ask for permission and they're told what to do um and right and everybody just goes along and then they realize the organization realizes oh well yeah but we actually need you know people to feel very empowered and we need you know people to engage across the organization more 
um, then they have to engage in real work in transforming the culture. And that begins by the senior leadership beginning to show up differently, right? So the senior leaders say, we're, we're going to be different starting now. Mm-hmm. And, and then they start we're going to be different right right they begin mo- they have to model it if the you know if, if the organ if the leadership of the organization says we're going to change and the leadership doesn't change how they show up then people have no reason to believe them that they're serious about the other organizational transformation that they just advertised so it's like well no you don't really mean it because you haven't changed a thing and people are smart. They can look and go, oh, no, my boss hasn't changed a thing. My boss said, everything's going to change. And my boss didn't change. So then they people don't believe that the change is real. And what you have then is that people just kind of, they think, I'm going to ride this out. It's not going to change. It's going to go back. And then I can just go back to doing things the way I like to do it. Um, so we, you know, we need to, so if we're going to change the culture or leadership needs to change leaders need to demonstrate personal change and there needs to be you know continual touch points where we're broadcasting what's changing right and you know this you're a communications expert right we need folks to we need to we need to broadcast here's what's changing and and we broadcast that through our actions more than our words Um, and we need to create a feedback loop for people to you know share their experience back to us of where they are in the change process and what do they need to take another step forward and change their behavior because remember all that macro level change requires micro level change we need all these people to change and we can't change people no nope, we, can, we can only help them want to change well i want you to tell us a story about a change that you saw in senior leadership. And this is why, because change, as you know, if you want other people to change, that is going to follow you. They're going to follow your example. But if you're in the C-suite, if you're a senior leader, you have this proven success formula that put you where you are. And that's why you're the big banana in the company. And then Dr. Giuliano is saying, sorry, You've got to change if you want Laura to change and Mary and Jamal and Miguel. How do you, how does that happen? Tell us an example. Yeah, it's a, it, they, they decide they're going to do the work. They're going to go on the journey. I mean, that's, that's it. That, that, you know, I press them that, you know, what, what can you change in how you speak and, and, and what you do and how you structure your time that will be a noticeable, um, tangible example to people that you mean it when you talk about change, that it's not just words, that you mean it. Um, and then, f- so that's for the whole team. What are, how are we gonna show up differently? And they, get, and, they, and they identify, these are the behaviors that if we did th- just this one or two things, it will shock people, they will notice, they'll say, my gosh, they're very different now um and they'll and they'll notice it and then and then we just have to you know hold ourselves we have to hold ourselves accountable to that we have to on a regular basis say are we living up to the commitment we made to show up differently and then it's the same thing with each individual member 
of that leadership team. It's like, what are you going to do differently? Right? What, what are, are you? They do, what are they doing differently? Give me right. an example. Tell me. Well, they're they're asking more questions, right? We talked about okay. inquiry before advocacy, so they're asking more questions. There, I have one leader that I work with who um, he and I mentioned this in, in the book. I tell the story about him. Terrific leader, and over at the end of the year, he would go home over the Christmas holiday and he would work through the whole Christmas holiday, uh, coming up with the his yearly objectives for his direct reports <laughs> that he would hand out, like, you know, hand out in January, here's your, here's your performance objectives for the, you know, for the year. Um, and, and he decided the big change for him was that he wasn't going to do that one year that he had told his team this is what's most important and and so he he trusted them he said you tell me now you have alignment with what we've said is most important so you come up with the first draft of your your annual performance objectives instead of me coming up with them you come up with them oh i love that that is a very yeah and what he found, what he found was that um, they were ninety some percent. Of what was he On was thinking? Yeah. What he was thinking, and he and he said, yeah. So he, he shifted it so that he wasn't being directive. This is what you have to do. He was asking them if they saw, once if they had alignment with this is our vision, this is our strategy. So you tell me, what are your performance objectives? What should you deliver? What are you, what are you going to contribute? Um, what will your organization as part of our company, you know, be focused on this year? And what are you going to do this year? And what he found, and you, you mentioned this a, a few minutes ago, is when he hands them out, he's got to get buy-in from them. When he lets them do the first draft, they own it. Exactly. He doesn't have to get buy-in. There, there's no buy-in. They own it already. So. So he 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 was creating a team that didn't need a manager; it needed a coach. Right. And so by letting them go first, now he can coach them instead of being the manager who just here's your here it is. And I, I'm thinking sh that should work at most levels, you know. It works. At, it works at every level. It works Does all it? the way down to the front line. If 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 I as a leader say, "This is our vision. This is this is our mission as a team." Mm -hmm. This is why we exist as a distinct team in the organization. We have to deliver this this piece of work. And if we don't do it, no one else does it. Everybody on the team knows their role or responsibility so that he could say, so you know what we need to achieve as a mission. You know what your role is. So this quarter, what's your work? So they do their tap. This is what the, the folks I work with, this is what they do. They create the alignment with their team of this is our road, this is our work, this is our mission, these are our outcomes for the year. Everybody mm -hmm. is co-owner of that work. And then each individual can look at what we call a team roadmap and extrapolate from that, okay, well then this is my part. And then they bring their quarterly tactical action plan to their, you know, to a meeting, to their one-on-one -on -one with their with their manager, and say, this quarter, I think this is what I need to focus on and get done. And then the manager says, "You're right, that's awesome." Or he writes, "Oh yeah, I like those three. This one, what about this? I think that belongs to that person over there. But this piece over here, no one's got. Why don't you get this done?" Right. So it enables more empowerment, more negotiation, and and then more ownership of 
of their work. And so the they have that tap that empowers people and, and they have that promise of accountability that it's built into the conversation. Yes, I love that. So everybody listening, you are welcome. You've just gotten another takeaway that's worth thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to you, because that's if you as the leader, first of all, it's going to save you work and save you accountability a little bit, because if, the, if everybody on your team is coming up with their own goals and plan that you agree with, I mean, that's half your job just done for you. So yes, you're welcome. So we're getting to the end. I, I want you to just tell us who should buy your book, The Next Normal? Like what, who, who did you write that for? Well, I wrote it actually for, uh, I work with a lot of senior leaders who are, you know, kind of set in their ways and but they realized during the, you know, the past couple of years with the disruptions uh, in the workplace, that they had an opportunity and 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 even a responsibility to rethink things, reset things, and 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 come up with a new way of leading. Um, and so I, I wrote the book for them. This is the work that I've been doing for twenty plus years with teams, and I was inspired by um, by Marshall Goldsmith's generosity, where he just started. You know, here's how I do it. And, you know, mm -hmm. he put it. You know, he puts it on his website and. And I said, you know, I had leaders saying to me, great, you know, how do I do this? And I have other coaches saying, how do I do this? And I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna, here's how I do it. If you wanna help, if you wanna, you know, learn how to reset things for yourself and be more intentional about the impact that you wanna have as a leader, if you want to reset things with your team and, and align people more effectively and get better at, at building the bench strength of your team and showing up as a coach to your team. Um, it's all in, it's all in the book. You can mm -hmm. use it as a cookbook. The recipes are all in there. It's highly actionable. Um, there's a, a whole section on, you know, what's in the next 90 days, how could you reset things with your team in order to create more alignment and, and create a culture of just for your team. Um, that is one that's more empowering and collaborative and productive. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, well, Greg, this has been very informative, useful information for building teams, building the culture, uh, communicating better, asking more questions, getting more buy-in, uh, adding more value. So if I was gonna pass off to you, if you want to tell people how, if they want to more of Greg, what's your recommendation? Thank you for a wonderful conversation. It's been a lot of, a lot of fun for me. If they wanna find me, I'm online. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there and you can find information about me at greggiuliano.com. Uh, you can find org information about my company at ultraleadership.com. As I promised earlier in the conversation, if you'd like a copy of the Tactical Action Plan or any of the other tools that we reference in the book, um, you can go to greggiuliano.com, sign up for the newsletter there, and that will be the signal to me that you want to get some of our, our free stuff and we'll get it to you. Awesome. We love free stuff. That's our favorite price. So this has been very stimulating and insightful conversation. And I'm going to sign off our, everybody. I know you hate that we're at the end of 
this episode, but we will see you in the next in the next episode. Have a good evening or day or morning. Have a good time. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.